Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Ogre Life podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and today we're going to find out what does a doula do? What is hypnobirthing? What exactly is involved in daddy baby yoga? And this is why I've brought in Emily Mekalani. I got in contact with Emily because I was looking for daddy baby yoga classes, and here she is today. Emily's also a member of Ames Island, which is the Association for Improvements in Maternity Services Island. So she knows her stuff. We cover a lot and uh, a bit more. <laughs> if you enjoy this podcast at any stage, please leave a review on iTunes or like, subscribe, share with a friend. Uh, if you would like to practice yoga with me online, no babies involved, just myself on a screen, you can do that by visiting kevinboyyoga.ie forward slash membership. And it's a free week's trial. I've added 40 minute classes now as well. I'm going to be adding a 45 minute class this week. And it's an online platform where you can simply practice at your leisure, as they say in America or in England, we say in Ireland, we say leisure. But yeah, uh, at your pleasure even. So any information about that, check it out online. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please leave feedback, a review on iTunes if you found it funny or informative. And without further ado, here is Emily. Hey, Emily. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm Grace. Great. Let me slide this a little bit closer towards you. Um, let's, let's start with what does a doula do? What does a doula do? A doula-ing. That's what I do. <laughs> uh, I, I never feel comfortable about that word doula-ing. I'm not sure it's the right one. But um, okay, so what does a doula do? Well, primarily we are like an additional layer of support around a birthing couple. So um, we would go in and meet a couple you know, sometimes it could be fairly early on in a pregnancy, but it would definitely be a few weeks, you know, ideally before uh, the due time. And we would build a relationship with the couple, get to know them. Um, and then we would do some a lot of work on birth preferences. So work out, you know, what the couple hopes to experience during birth, uh, what's important to them um, and then help them put birth, birth preference sheet together so that they can communicate to the hospital, you know, what, what they're hoping will happen. And like I would always say birth preference rather than a birth plan because a plan is something you're going to stick to come hell or high water. Mm. But birth preference is should everything be going, you know, the way we're hoping it will go. Here are some of the things that are important to us. Right. So we do that and um, we do a lot of work around that. And then um, I'd go on call for a month so uh, two weeks before the due date and two weeks after I'd be on call and it's really just waiting for the call, which <laughs> can come at any time, morning, <laughs> noon or night, usually at night for some reason. Why is that? There's no actual reason behind it. But I mean, a lot of our womanly cycles are linked to the moon. So I blame the moon myself. OK, so women are more likely to give birth at night time. Don't quote me on that, but. I've all we my calls, a lot of my calls <laughs> have been at night. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that as well. Yeah, yeah. That and a full moon will will do it for you as well. So just watch out for the moon. Because cycle. of the tide. and Because of the water, the pull on the water. Yeah, it usually kind of gets things going as well. And midwives will tell you that. They, they go into work and it's full moon. They'll be like, oh, I'm going to be busy tonight. And then when, when you get the call, uh, whenever that comes, mm. what do you do then? 
So it's different for every woman. Some um, people will call at the very first little tingle or twinge or, or something that their instinct has said, oh, maybe something's happening. And some will call much later, nearly, you know, when they're in really progressed labor. So it's whenever the time is right for them, it's instinctive. And all of birthing is instinctive. It's yeah. all instinctive. And you have to remember, and, and I harp on about this all the time um, in my work, animals don't do classes. They don't read books. They don't <laughs> do any of that. They don't do hypnobirthing. And they completely rely on instinct. And we're no different. We are no different at all. So if we just tune into that instinct, it'll tell us exactly what to do and what we need to do. And if we just stick to that, you know, things can have a much more positive outcome. But it's hard, especially if you're going into a hospital kind of scenario. It can be difficult because you question your instinct, you know, against other things that are going on around you. So that's where the difficulty can arise. But to go back to doulaing, I would arrive. Um, I, I often joke with my clients, you know, if I get there, and the mom is the life and soul of the party. And she's like, hi, how are you? I'm like, oh, God, we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. So if you know, if you're <laughs> lovely, jolly person, you're not in really active labor yet. <laughs> oh, I see. The beast hasn't come out. Active labor is a grumpy time. And mm. it's because we're so focused on all of these things that are going on inside us. And, and we're working so hard that... You're really not very tatty in labor. Now, there's no rules here. You know, obviously, some people are. And I specifically remember on my second birth, I tried to be the life and soul of the party because my husband had said to me after my our first birth experience of our first child, he had said, God, you know, you never said a word all the way through that, which you'll get to know, Kevin, is very unlike me. <laughs> said, you never said a, a word. And I would kind of like to know if you were OK. So the second time around, I, that was on my mind and I was trying to be chatty and everything. And I do feel maybe took away from it a little bit, you know. Um, we just get very focused and inward when, you know, the going really starts to, to get tough. So, um, yeah. So a grumpy laboring woman means progression. It goes on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> progression. <laughs> what, what, so are you there for the birth? Are you yes. in the actual labor room? So I would labor with the couple at home and then when the couple feel that they want to, they, they if they're having a hospital birth rather than a home birth and they feel that they want to go into the hospital, um, I will go in with them. I always remember uh, one of my first clients as a doula, I learned a really valuable lesson. So we were, they had decided they wanted to go into the hospital and I said to them, okay, you, you go in your car and mm -hmm. I'll follow behind um, and I'll see you, you know, as soon as we get to the hospital, I'll be there. No, 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 no. Because we got out of the front door. They got into the car. He took off like a bat out of hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I was initially trying to keep up. And then I said to myself, hang on a minute. He's got a woman in labor in his car. If he gets stopped by the guards, mm. you know, that's a class excuse. I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. yeah. So I said, right, I'm going to have to slow down. So I actually pulled over and I texted him and I said, listen, I'm going to be there a few minutes after you. Um, so they went in and everything. So lesson one in doulaing, do not try and keep up with the birthing car. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'd go in with them and I'd be with them then until their baby's born. Okay. Um, so when, when you go in 
to the hospital in actual the labor room do you have to explain to the doctors what your role is or do they have do they know you already have they met you already no so we wouldn't unless you know you know people from your work you know and you've met them before mm. um healthcare providers but no you wouldn't you wouldn't and uh, it's in Ireland, uh, if, if you want to have a doula present at your birth, um, in a lot of the units, you need to write to the hospital and ask permission to have a doula accompany you. Because in most, and this is pre-COVID now I'm talking, yeah. um, most of the uh, maternity units, of which there are 19 in the country, most of them um, require you to do that. There are a couple of units with an open doula policy, the Coombe being one of them. The Coombe is the only one in Dublin. The rest, you need to write and ask permission um, to have a doula present. So you need to get a letter from the director of midwifery saying it's okay for your doula to accompany with your partner. And um, then you need to produce that. Now, as a doula, I mean, I've been left sitting in hospital receptions with my client upstairs asking for me and security refusing me to not allowing me to go in, even though I have this magical letter. So mm. doesn't always it's not always plain sailing, but mm. um, yeah, it can it can be difficult and. I don't know. I think there's an attitude sometimes. Um, some healthcare providers don't like to have doulas around, yeah. so it can be it can be tricky, you know. Um, others are delighted to just facilitate the woman's choices, but some aren't that way. Yeah. Do you think because they feel that there's too many um, instructions or something that may potentially, uh, or, or they feel a bit overwhelmed when yeah. there's an extra person there? I think it's a, I think it's a few things. Um, I mean, predominantly, we're there just as an additional layer of support. Yeah. You know, and when you go through this soon, hopefully, Kevin. <laughs> hopefully soon. It's a lot of work. You know, there's a lot to do to support a birthing woman. You know, your support is is informational. You're helping her to understand um, information that's been given to her, and you're helping her to give information as well it's uh, a practical support so you're you're getting things for her when she needs them you're you're mopping her brow you're you're massaging an ache you're you know helping her up and out into different positions mm -hmm. so it's a very practical support there's a physical support you know in terms of massage and and different things that you can do that can be really so helpful um it's an emotional support mm -hmm. you know you're there to to provide emotional support so if you have two people who can tag team and do that, it, it makes it much easier. Because remember, this can go on for a long time, especially yeah. on a first baby. Really? Yeah. So it can, it can go on for a long time. So, you know, having a tag team and being able to, you know, one person step out and maybe get some fresh air or, or whatever. And having your doula there, you know, to, to keep that continuous support going is, is gold. It really is. And... You know, all the evidence shows that continuity of support has better outcomes in the birthing process. Mm, okay. The men, the, the, we, we were talking before we start recording about the physical side of things. I was saying how Rach is being going to the gym and she's being very active and working on endurance, as it were. Yeah. But there's the physical endurance, but then there's also the mental endurance yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, what is hypnobirthing? So, uh, hypnobirthing is, it's basically like a toolkit of different tools that you can use that keep your mind in a good, positive place 
believing that you can birth your baby um, and keep allow your body then to complete the function of birth without interruption. We give birth with our mind just as much as we do with our body. Mm. So having the mind in a place because the mind controls your your hormone system. And what you need for birth is oxytocin. Oxytocin makes contractions. Mm. And I always say to my clients, you want the big contractions. You don't think you want those, but you do because <laughs> they're doing something. You don't want the little piddly ones. You have to have millions of them. But one big contraction can do loads. So that's what you want. And for that to happen, you need oxytocin. It makes the contractions. And oxytocin is the hormone of love. It's the hormone of feeling safe. It's the hormone of cuddles and darkness and woolly socks and fluffy dogs (laughs) and all of that. (laughs) So that is not conducive to a hospital experience. So what you have to do is bring oxytocin conductors with you to the hospital to keep that oxytocin Uh. buzz going. It'll be grand here when you're at home because you're in your nest. But how do you bring that into the hospital? So hypnobirthing will explain that to you, help you to understand it, and then help you to have a toolkit of things that you can do to keep those happy vibes going when you're birthing your baby. And then the body can just do what it was built to do. Yeah, because I think I think when you see birthing on in movies or on TV, it seems very dramatic that like bright white room yeah. and a lot of screaming and hands being squeezed. And it seems like something that's um, very intense, like the uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it is intense. Whereas when you talk about darkness and quiet yeah. and uh, coziness, I don't think of it. I don't think of a, a labor room. That's, yeah. that's not my, my impression from what I've seen in TV and stuff. Yeah. Um, so it, with the hypnobirthing process, because some people might think that it's like, um, I would say it sounds, I mean, because it has the word hypno in it. Yeah. It's like hypnotherapy. Yeah. How yeah. close is it to hip, traditional hypnotherapy? Okay. Well, so first of all, there are no pendulums. Okay. There's no, <laughs> <laughs> there's no look into my eyes. <laughs> I always say, and especially partners tend to be really wary of hypnobirthing. And like my own partner was the same. I had to drag him in. And, you know, I've seen that a hundred hundreds of times in my own classes, but I usually kind of hook them in on the first class, <laughs> get them on side. But People are, it, it is, I don't know whether you would call it an unfortunate name, um, but it does put some people off, okay? But the hypno element of hypnobirthing, all that means is going into a deep relaxation. So it's more meditative birthing. Uh, it's more mindful birthing, you know. But in hypnosis, and I am not a hypnotherapist, so I cannot <laughs> speak as a hypnotherapist here, and nor do I want to be, incidentally. But in hypnosis what you're doing is you're putting the kind of active critical part of your mind on pause and letting it go asleep a little bit Mm -hmm. and you're just opening the other part of your mind and that's the part of your mind that triggers those lovely hormones of oxytocin and endorphins which we want bucket loads of in birth Mm. and we want to keep this more stressful hormones out of it because they're the hormones that create pain Mm. and that is the key so therefore it would adrenaline be a bad hormone yeah we don't want adrenaline you don't want adrenaline now there is an argument that adrenaline has a function right at the very end and we were talking there about triathlons and marathons and stuff okay adrenaline will get you over the line at the end yeah so there is an argument that adrenaline 
could be useful right at the very end point but it is definitely not useful earlier on in labor because adrenaline kickstarts our fight or flight response right. okay so it changes what the body is trying to do first we were giving birth and that's what the body was working on and now something has happened adrenaline has been released and now the body's saying okay gotta pause that because now i need to protect myself or i need to run away and what that does then it's like any animal in nature we can shut our birthing down. We can say, no, it's not safe for my young here. I won't birth here. And, you know, we can completely shut it down until we feel the time is right. And I always, when I'm teaching hypnobirthing, I always give this little anecdote about my cat when I was a kid, right? But this might be my early interest in birthing. But we had this cat that was having kittens. And the cat went in under my brother's bed. And these were much anticipated kittens. So we went in under the bed as well to look at the cat. <laughs> the cat, obviously we were annoying it and it, we were in its space and the cat had one kitten under the bed, picked the kitten up in its mouth, ran through the house, jumped to the top shelf of our hot press, which was a good seven foot jump <laughs> and had three more kittens up there. Wow. Okay. So that is that in action. You mm. can shut it down if you feel it's unsafe until you find a safer place. Mm. So that's why adrenaline is not good for birth because what it does is the body will say, no, I'm not going to open up because it's not safe for my baby here. Mm -hmm. So instead of the cervix opening, the cervix will go, nah, not doing it. And that is in medical terms termed failure to progress, which is awful because first you're frightened and now you're a failure. So that doesn't <laughs> help anyone really, does it? And a lot of the medical terminology yeah. is really negative like that. So that's another thing that we do in hypnobirthing is we reframe the language around birthing to be more positive. Mm, yeah, that's um, it's interesting because I think that when you go into a hospital environment, I suppose it has to be quite clinical, quite. Um, they need to see everything that's going on mm. and everything is 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 cleaned and um, there's they want to keep everything hygienic, as it were. Mm. Um but then that f maybe is c counterproductive to what you're there to do because you want to feel like you're 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 safe and and also as well lying down if you lie down i imagine that isn't an efficient way to give birth as opposed to yeah. just because of gravity no no person should ever be lying down giving birth they but then if they, they're in hospital are they generally encouraged to lie down not anymore so it, really? it certainly used to be um, the practice. And you might wonder where did lying down come from? You know, all you ever see in movies is a woman lying on her back with her legs in the air, which incidentally doesn't do much for the oxytocin. You know, no woman wants to be lying spread eagled, you yeah. know, for the world to see. <laughs> it's just not how we go about our business. I get you. So um, where it came from actually was when we started to train obstetricians. Um, women were encouraged to lie on their back because the obstetrician could see better. So it was purely about function for the obstetrician and mm. not about the woman or the baby. And you're absolutely right. If you lie on your back, you're going against gravity and you have to work 10 times harder. If you're using gravity, so you're upright, you're uh, maybe in a squatting position, you're maybe on all fours, you could be standing, you could be on your knees. Very common for women to, to get into a position where they're kind of on their knees, leaning over something um for birthing then you're getting the full force of gravity and 
you don't need to push if you have gravity on your side and if you're actively birthing. And that is where the active birth movement came from, which was started by an amazing woman called Janet Velasquez in the UK. Um, she was a yoga teacher and she, oh, I got to meet her once and it was like a serious fangirl moment. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's amazing. And she began the active birth movement um, when hosp- when birthing became very medicalized in the UK. Mm. And she was encouraging women, don't get on the bed. And I would always say that to my clients, don't get on the bed. The bed is a prop. You're not sick. You don't need to be in a bed. Use the bed as a prop. Keep mm. moving. Prop as in to put your hands on to put your hands on or maybe to use for squatting or you know and the bed is great you can lower it right down to the ground or you can raise it up quite high so it's it's a really good prop to use you know there's handles down the end of the bed that you can use for squatting and squatting is by far you know the most beneficial position for birthing and for moving your baby down how does squatting compare to all because some people can't i mean i assume that i i my i you know i can't squat very well and that um i was a minority but actually um i've i know i won't say who told me but they were at this workshop and it was a women's workshop mm. and it's a pregnancy one and in pregnancy workshop um the women were asked to squat and you know you can mm. see on camera and most women couldn't squat either so mm. that was amazing me because i just assumed most women can squat quite comfortably yeah. just because of the shape of the hips and yeah uh, and, and that um so how so if you couldn't squat what about all fours oh all fours is great as well but the really key thing you need to remember is you need a good distance between the knees because you're all the time creating space for Mm. a baby to come down so if we are closed in it's nowhere for baby to go you know so you always have to think in your mind i use a little acronym uh ufo we need to be upright forward and open Okay. <laughs> and that, uh, what I'm talking about there is the pelvis. So the pelvis is upright. Yeah. It's tipped forward mm-hmm. and it's open. There's nothing obstructing. And actually, when you lie on your back, you close the pelvic inlet. You make the space for a baby to come out smaller. Mm. When you're upright, forward and open, you increase the size of the pelvic outlet. Interesting. Yeah. That, that would it make sense. Um, last week, I was chatting to... Um, Helena Tubridy about uh, I have to I have to really enunciate that surname because it's uh I'm so used to saying Ryan Turbity. But shout out to Helena, she we were talking about fertility and <clears throat> she we were comparing like generations before to now in terms mm. of how fertile we are. So what I, I'm interested to to understand is what do you think about modern life has made it potentially i'm assuming more difficult to give birth i'm assuming it's more difficult to birth than it than it was because people have been mm. maybe, or maybe i'm wrong is it is it i don't di- know i i don't know if it is or not um i think the medicalization of birth has of course increased safety in a lot of ways but has also made birthing more difficult because uh when i do hypnobirthing classes um and you know i'd have a group of couples and You'd have usually a, a lot of them would be first time um, pregnancies. And I do a little exercise with them first is, you know, I get them to jot down what they feel about birth, their real feelings about it, what they feel about it and what what are you afraid of? And giving birth actually never comes up as a fear. What what comes up as things they're afraid of is 
hospital stuff. It's medical intervention. Mm. It's all the medical stuff. I'm I'm afraid of forceps. I'm afraid of an episiotomy. What's that? I'm a, an episiotomy is a surgical um, incision in the um, per- perineum. So it's to make more space for a baby to come out. Is basically. the perineum in the vagina? The perineum is the little bit of skin between the vagina and the anus. So it's a surgical incision of that. Mm. And you can pe- tell now I'm, I'm a fishing adult because I said the word vagina. Yeah. Just be medical. I do make a point of saying vagina in every interview I do. So <laughs> I can now tick that I off. Got that, I got that one before you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry. So the perineum. The perineum, yeah. Is and the bit between the front bit and the back bit. Yeah. Uh, is that the same for a man? I presume so, Do we have yeah. a perineum as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's called a perineum. Interesting question. I, I, I know, I know like, up. slang terms for it, but I'm not going to bring yeah, the podcast I d- I down. I don't want to know. <laughs> 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 Go on. Sorry. Uh, so the, they, they make an incision there. Yeah. Now, I, I have to say that... Um, Routine episiotomy, which is the name of that incision, is not recommended by the WHO and they uh, recommend that episiotomy is only carried out in very extreme circumstances and they would pretty much be weighing towards it not happening at all. And I must also point out that our episiotomy rate in Ireland is in the kind of 30% for first time mothers. 30? Yeah. Okay. Around 30%. I, okay. Well, it makes sense why they would, well, it doesn't make sense, but I understand why they would do that. But, um, so that you said intervention. So the, uh, episiotomy, those kind of things, they're <laughs> the things that frighten people, you know, and they're the things that they've heard in horror stories about birth and horror stories have a really big function in, in, in birth, because if your head is full of these horrific stories that people just love to tell, especially when they see a bump walking down the street, then yeah. that's what comes into the mind when you're birthing. So that's another function of hypnobirthing is to, to address. I very passionately believe, you know, you can't say to someone, oh, that won't happen to you. Don't worry about it. Or come on, don't worry about it. Just think positive. That's not realistic. OK, because you can never say that won't happen to you. It might. So what you need to do is address the fear. OK, well, if this situation comes up, how am I going to deal with that? Let's kind of do a little contingency or you know, how can I prevent that intervention happening? And that's what I would work on in my classes. Now, sometimes they're not preventable because a lot of them are life-saving interventions, okay? But in my opinion, they are overused. And a lot of them are overused because interventions work on a cascade basis, okay? So as soon as you have the first intervention, which might be a sweep of the membranes or... Uh, induction, you know, might be the first intervention you have. It lines you up for the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And they work like that on a cascade basis. So if you're somebody that's saying to yourself, I really don't want to have an episiotomy. I mean, you, you can never firstly say that's not going to happen. You know, you can hope it won't happen. But you also need to say to yourself, well, what am I going to do to lessen the risk of that happening? Mm. And to do that, you need to start at the very beginning and avoid the first intervention. I've heard the word induction used a lot. I understand what it the outcome is. How is that administered? Like, how do they induce someone? So it's there's a few different ways, and it, it depends on. Um, and I have to say, I am not a midwife, so you know this yeah. is only my take on it, and I'm not giving anyone any medical advice. But uh, there's a few different ways of um, 
induction, you might get a, a prostaglandin gel, which is like a gel that they insert into the cervix and that softens and, and gets the cervix ready for birth. Um, it might be artificial rupture of the membranes, which is breaking the waters. So, But the cervix needs mm. to, you need to be able to get at the waters to mm. break them. So that's a form of induction. Um, or it might be being hooked up to an oxytocin drip, which is a synthetic oxytocin. Um, you know, and I, I say to people, like, you have a b- oxytocin in abundance there yourself, you know, that you made yourself an organic version, you know, tap into that first before... Yeah. As I say, these interventions are there because they're often life-saving and necessary. But if everything is okay with baby and everything is okay with you and and you're someone who doesn't want to experience medical interventions, then this is where your informed consent comes in, you mm. know. And you everything the hospital uh, recommends to you is just that. It's a recommendation. It's a suggestion. But you don't have to do it. You will often hear women saying, oh, they wouldn't let me go further than 12 days over. Or I wasn't allowed to wait until Tuesday to see if my baby would come. You are allowed. You know, it is your baby, your body, your birth. If you don't want an intervention and you are informed, you understand the benefits, the risks, the alternatives. Uh, if your baby is doing okay in there and you're okay to be pregnant for another few days and it only ever is another few days you know no baby in the history of the world's ever stayed in there so remember that (laughs) (laughs) we tell ourselves all sorts of things and i know like i've had three overdue babies so you know i get it i now understand that perfection takes time kevin (laughs) (laughs) but you know it can be a long wait and it can be a, a frustrating wait. Um, but all babies come out when they're ready. Mm. That's So what you're saying then is that oxytocin actually releases, uh, it kind of is a, a trigger then for the baby to know to come. Yeah. So when the baby, we still don't know exactly what the chain of events is to make birth happen. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I love that it's a mystery. And I hope it's always a mystery. You know, there's few mysteries in life these days. But we know that when baby's ready, it presses a button and oxytocin is released in the mom's brain mm. and that creates contractions and gets contractions going. Right, okay. And in hypnobirthing, we don't say contractions, by the way. What do you say? Because the economy contracted and, and that's not very nice. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you say then instead? We say surges. Okay. Which is a nicer word. And it's a better description, you know. Mm. It's like a surge of power and then it's gone. Yeah, it sounds like you're and progressing. and it's gone. It's a yeah. positive word. It's it sounds like a good thing. So, what role then can the partner play in helping in the whole? So they have you. you let's say they listen to the hypnobirthing, or they have visits with you, they have the doula. What about the partner? What can they be doing to make their their misses more um, make the experience more? pleasurable yeah I don't know if that's the right word yeah and look it can be really pleasurable like I mean I um I, geez, I loved giving birth now I'm not really? telling you I was you loved giving birth loved giving birth now I'm not telling you I was full of the joys you know I was working harder than I've ever worked in my entire life I okay. was pushed to the furthest point that I've ever been pushed in my entire life yeah um and it's easy to get complacent in my work you know and, and I've been extremely lucky to have three really positive birth experiences. 
So, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you'll be grand, you know, just do this and do that and you'll be grand and it'll be great. You'll have a great time. Um, but it's you, you can never forget that it is really difficult. And as you said yourself, it's emotional, it's physical. You're going to be pushed to the limits. Yeah. But you can do it because your body was built to do it. Yeah. And what you need to do it is support. Support is crucial. It's crucial because it releases those oxytocin hormones. Endorphins are hugely important because they're nature's pain relief. So when we're full of oxytocin, we're full of endorphins and we feel we can do it. And that mindset of, I believe I can do this, will get you through. Mm. But unfortunately, in the hospital scenario, everything from your very first visit plants a seed that you can't do it. Implies sometimes very subtly that you're going to need assistance and therein lies the problem. And that's why hypnobirthing is a thing, mm. you know? So I usually use the analogy of a marathon, right? I ran mm-hmm. my first marathon last year. And oh, fair play. Thank you. Your first one. So my you first one, yeah. Okay. And I, uh, I did it for lots of reasons, um, but one of the drivers for it was, you know, to remind myself what it feels like to be pushed as physically and as hard as you can so that I can not get complacent with my clients. You know, I need to remember what that's like. Yeah. So um, I kind of use this analogy with birthing because birthing is like a marathon. It can take a long time. OK, so it's definitely not a sprint. And, you know, if you were getting ready to do a marathon or a triathlon or any kind of, you know, big physical challenge, and you're kind of doing your stretches there at the starting line and getting ready. And uh, someone comes up to you and says, hi, now we're just going to hook this monitor up to you here just to make sure that nothing terrible happens to you along the way. You know, what's that going to do for you? Are you going to run that marathon or triathlon? Probably not. Possibly not. And then you hear two people on the sidelines chatting and they're saying, oh, do you remember you did that? That was remember what do you remember when you were on that marathon oh my god i'd never do it again horrific absolutely horrific and this happened and that happened and the other happened is that going to do much for your marathon mojo no and this is the situation that we find ourselves in in the hospital scenario oftentimes everything implies that something is going to go wrong we're going to need medical assistance we're going to need help and we're not able to do this thing called birth by ourselves Mm. And the truth is that we are able if we get support, but support is crucial. And that's support of a partner, support of healthcare providers, mm. support of a midwife and continuity of care. You know, um, the medical providers, obviously you're doing your best, the mother's doing her best and they're doing their best medical providers. But it, it and I, I mean, I can't speak for being a mother or a pregnant lady, so, but um what it seems like you're getting at is that it's about the the what do you call someone who's about to give birth a mother or pregnant person some people don't like that because they don't consider themselves a mother until their baby's born and some people do so everyone's different i usually say pregnant people because that's kind of more inclusive okay so 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 pregnant person yeah who's who's about to give birth right it's i i assume like well we know now mindset is so important and what you said again before we started recording was about endurance and yeah i was and now to be 
I, I want to be real frank here because I think social media is fantastic, but of, often, well, always people put the highlights on. Yeah. They put the highlights on their social course. media. They didn't yeah, put the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the often they didn't put the shit stuff. When Rachel was in her first trimester, mm. she was in bits mm. for her first trimester. It was real difficult for her. She was sick and all that. But but it gets better mm. in my experience. And, uh, you know, me and Rachel have been going to the gym lately. And it's funny, when we're, in, we're at the gym and she's like doing leg press or whatever, I'm there with her talking about her breathing. Exhale on the effort, inhale, bring yeah, it back. Yeah, you know, yeah. watch your repetitions and your tempo and saying, you know, can you add a bit more weight? How do you feel with that? And looking at her face expressions. And I'm, I, I didn't realize it. I'm like, this feels like we're in, we're, yeah. this sort of like giving birth. Yeah. Because, um, and every single time we wake up in the morning, Rachel would be like, uh, not every time, but most times she's like, I don't really feel like it, whatever. But every time after she's like, I feel great now. Yeah. And it's that thing of, you, you can do it. Uh, mind over matter, endurance, yeah. and understanding the power of, words and also your breathing like um i involved in different sports and sometimes sometimes you'll hear coaches saying things like come on don't quit or don't stop yeah keep yeah. instead of keep going you're yeah. doing really well brilliant yeah, try yeah, again yeah, yeah. and it's that negative reinforcement and maybe it's an irish english culture that we have like in ireland and in england you meet someone there oh, raining again today or whatever about yeah, the, the yeah. virus you go to america Oh, have a great day. Everything's, you know, yeah, the president, yeah, or yeah, the, yeah. not this president, but the last president, it was like, <laughs> you know, yes, we can. Yeah. You know, yeah like, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas kind of in English and Irish politics, it's a bit like, oh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think part of it is, is culture. But um, yeah, with, um, with kind of motivation and, and positive affirmations. Yeah, like Rach, that's what I was Rach was, say, yeah. Rach yeah. was listening to your positive affirmation yesterday. Mm. And... Um, I was there listening as well, and uh, just the words we, we we forget how powerful words can mm, be, don't mm, we? You know. Yeah, so totally. do you do you with those affirmations? Um, do you record them and send them to people, or do you normally do them in person where you talk no, to them? Well, uh, with affirmations, that track that you were talking about, yeah. I recorded at the beginning of the pandemic because I was hearing from so many women with so much anxiety, which I totally get, you know. And again, it wasn't anxiety about giving birth. It was anxiety about what's going to happen in the hospital when I get in there. That was where the anxiety was coming from. Yeah. And I recorded, um, I wrote like COVID kind of pandemic specific affirmations um, for that. But normally you know i use i teach a hypnobirthing course called the wise hippo birthing program mm. and it it's originates from the uk um and there's a suite of hypnobirthing tracks there's six tracks in total that you get as part of the course and there's a birthing affirmations track as one of them so i generally use those ones um but i just recorded my own this time for that specific reason because of the pandemic and and you know it needs they needed tweaking in terms of just reminding, you know, I, I have my own power. I can do this. I can untap this power because I was really aware that a lot of women were birthing without their partners. Mm. Um, and that was one of the restrictions and still is um, in a lot of places, which is really, really difficult. And and just on that, one of the things that really irks me about that is that partners are being classed as visitors. Partners yeah. are not visitors. They are a fundamental part of the birthing process. Mm what we talked about earlier they provide all those different layers of support emotional informational practical physical 
They are not visitors. They're so important. They are the birthing champion, you know, and and that's their role. So to class birth partners as uh, visitors, I think, is, is, is very unfair on both entities, on, on the birthing person and the partner. Um, and the partner could be a doula either. You know, some women choose to birth with a doula at her side and not a partner or maybe the, there isn't another partner. Um, and doulas aren't being facilitated at all at the moment, to the best of my knowledge. I don't understand why a partner wouldn't be allowed in, since especially because they live together, I assume. Yeah. And But yet you're allowed six people in your house. Yeah, I, look... No, it's very none of it makes any sense. Okay, (laughs) and where I'll point you towards is I volunteer for an amazing organization called Ames Ireland, and we're on it, is all I can say. What is Ames Ireland? Ames Ireland is the Association for Improvements in the Maternity Services of Ireland, and Mm. we have been going for nearly 13 years. Um, it's a lot of work. I'm support officer, so I run a support service by email. Um, and it's it's providing information and support to maternity service users. Yeah. You know, it could be all different aspects of the maternity services. But yeah, I mean, the restrictions are very difficult, very difficult for everybody. And we have been asking since March, uh, we've written to both Minister for Health, we've written to uh, the HSE, we've written to individual units, asking them for risk assessments um, that prove that, having a partner by your side is dangerous or risky in some way and to date we have received nothing mm. so yeah it's yeah i suppose that that is the kind of, that's the current um thing that people are upset about is like the covid um yeah i think actually if you say the word covid or coronavirus on a podcast it gets demonetized oh, but, really? but that's okay i don't okay. make any money from, <laughs> i don't make any money from this you anyway it all out. but also if you say a swear word as well you get demonetized oh, right. yeah, it does. yeah so oh, but um okay. i do both so okay. it doesn't matter but just interesting though because I, I don't talk about the covid that much uh anymore but um yeah but i think unfortunately it is just a really big part of birthing at the moment yeah exactly you it know, is and it's, it's that's really difficult what's the story then with your um maybe covid has affected this well the daddy baby yoga classes yeah that's how i first contacted oh, you yeah, yeah. I, I searched daddy baby yoga yeah. in on google dublin and then yours was the first thing that oh, came up i'm really glad about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> seo <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> um yeah look i absolutely adore working with new dads love it i love it so much um and as i said there earlier you know sometimes they're dragged into classes and hypnobirthing classes and like they're like oh god please don't say vagina to me and all those things (laughs) (laughs) and uh then you just see this amazing and i know journey is such a silly word at the moment but you see it you can see it like they come in and they're all nervous and feeling uncomfortable and then something just blossoms you know along the way and it's incredible and i've had dads coming in you know i i did um i devised a course uh, a couple of years ago that was a mix of yoga and infant massage for dads mm-hmm. so the idea was um and it was in a, a lovely studio with a really amazing coffee shop underneath so the idea was mom could go and have coffee by herself for two hours <laughs> and dad and baby would attend the class that's perfect and it was to kind of in, uh, help bonding and confidence around your baby and i think sometimes you know certainly the old-fashioned views that men are a bit useless which i really disagree with and uh that you know so the idea was to kind of 
blow all that apart and, and just help um, dads to become more comfortable being with their babies by themselves and more confident. So, you know, I, I, the first kind of pilot classes I did and the dads were coming in and they were obviously made go by their partners and they were, you know, feeling really awkward and nervous. And, and for some of them, it might have been the first time they were with their baby on their own without that safety net of mom around. Yeah. And we I did a four class course. I, I thought anything more than four classes was going to be pushing it a bit. And by the last class in the course the dads were coming in with the babies in the slings <laughs> fully wrapping their babies in slings really confident like just on top of the world and just enjoying being a parent so much yeah and it's brilliant you know that's absolutely lovely but i'm sorry to tell you it was really hard to keep that class going because i just couldn't get enough people to do it before covid or because before of COVID? covid yeah I just uh, couldn't get. Well, what's the main resistance? I don't know. I don't know. But so I just what, what couldn't do you, get people. To what sign do you? What, uh, how, so, uh, give me an example <clears> of like what do you do? You put the baby on the mat. You do a down dog, and you look at the baby. How's it work? Yeah. So we do. You no, know, we do a little bit of yoga. So I would, would always start with um, a breathing, doing like a bit of pranayama, a bit of you know, just let's come into the room and go. And especially if you've got all that nervous energy going on, you need to just offload that a little bit because the babies know. You know, if if whoever's with them is nervous, the babies are going to feed on that and they're going to be nervous as well. So yeah. uh, we just do a little bit of breathing, a bit of meditation, a bit of visualization, just coming into the room, settling. And then we might start some gentle movement, you know, and fun things, interacting with the baby, making eye contact with your baby. Such a simple thing, but so powerful, you know. Mm. Uh, touch, so important. So we do some infant massage. And I take them through the strokes. Now, I would always um, be demonstrating with a doll. And then, you know, each parent would then stroke their own baby. And I would give handouts. So it's all there, you know, if you forget the strokes later on. And I do through my uh, parent and baby yoga, my infant massage, like I do lots of little songs and rhymes. And because sometimes when you become a parent for the first time, you don't know any of the songs, you know, oh, but yeah. they might come back to you from your own childhood. But a lot of people... I know, I, like I've talked to a lot of parents who say, oh, I'm not really sure how to talk to a baby or, or you know, what to say or mm. any. And it's instinct. It all comes to you eventually. But it's nice to have a little helping hand, a few little rhymes and songs and things. And just encouraging that bond, you know, which is amazing. And mm. will stand to both the parent and the baby for their entire lives. Yeah. So it's incredible. I, I feel like I may not be the best yoga teacher, I may not be the best podcaster, but I'm going to be an exceptional dad. That's what I feel. That's, <laughs> that's, like, that's my mission, you know, because I, 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 I've said to Rach, I'm willing to, um, well, not willing, that's probably because it affects everyone, but I'm accepting that I'm going to earn less money, but be at home more. Mm. I could work way more than I, than I do if I want to, Yeah. but I'm going to choose not to and instead be present with my kid and hopefully kids as yeah. much as I can because me and Rachel started watching this thing um actually Brian Malone sent it to, to us um on Netflix called the, I think it's called the beginning of life mm. and it's a, a really fascinating documentary about um birth and parenthood early parenthood yeah. essentially but one thing it says over and over again is zero to three how important that oh, yeah, time yeah, that yeah, time yeah, is yeah, yeah. and uh I, I I feel like um I don't know. I'm not bigging myself. I don't mean to big myself up, but I feel like 
I, I, I don't really know what I'm good at in life. Like, what's my actual skill? I can't play guitar. I can't, don't yeah, think yeah, I can't yeah, do. Yeah. But I feel like, I don't know, I think I'll be a really good yeah. dad. Mind you, I must say, when I see other kids that aren't, like, before this, yeah. uh, I've kind of been like, no, there's a kid. I don't know what to do, like, how to yeah. get out of it. But um, supposedly from this documentary, it was saying that when you have your own kid, your the chemistry in your body changes. You yeah. release more oxytocin, yeah, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually... You know, you hear fellas saying, oh, when I became a father, it changed me. But actually, it does change your chemistry, your your physical makeup. Yeah, because yeah. you're looking after something, uh, someone uh, in a way you've never done before. And I, I, I really think that um, I'm going to I'm gonna try and like play off them a lot and, uh, and also uh, give them not just physically like because Rachel was saying to me about tummy time. You yeah. Know? And if they've got tummy time then they encourage their neck muscles to lift their head. Yeah. So I was thinking about how what games I could play with her to build up her neck muscles and yeah. stuff like this. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Without turning it into a workout. <laughs> but but I really want to be th- that involved. That's that's the main thing. Yeah. And and, um, and this other interesting thing the documentary said was that, say in my dad's generation, mm. they were like, oh, you look after the kid because you're the woman, mm. right? And the man is kind of, he's kind of on the outside. And when he tries, this is the key thing. When he tries to look after the kid or do something, the woman sometimes will be like, no, you don't do it like that. You yeah, do it like this. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, he yeah, thinks, yeah. well, why, why, do I, why should I bother? Yeah. Whereas what we really learned from this podcast or this uh, episode was that the man's going to do things differently to the woman. Yeah. One partner's going to do things to the other partner. Yeah. And the woman has to allow that to happen uh, because... It takes a village to raise a child. That's Absolutely. the old African proverb. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, hundred um, percent. And I, in in my classes, <laughs> I always make all these points that you're saying. Um, but like, you know, the big one is well, how we did it right because I was breastfeeding my babies, and when you're breastfeeding your babies, you know, they do want to be on you a lot and with you because you're the food source. Come on, you know, it's it's that's intelligence. Yeah. And I remember um, my husband saying. God, look at the baby's eyes following me around the room. And then, like, if I went out of sight, you'd see the baby going, oh, oh, this is not good. You know, <laughs> where's she gone? And my husband used to think, God, you know, why doesn't it feel safe with me? Why doesn't it want to be around me? And I said to him, listen, if the fridge got up and walked out of the room, you'd be kind of concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the way it is. And, and, and they, you know, they, they feel safe. It, it's that primal safety mechanism that's what keeps babies safe and remember babies are a hundred percent dependent on Mm. us they can't do anything for themselves Mm -hmm. they depend on their carers for everything so you cannot go wrong if the only mantra as a new parent you stick to is hold them just hold them Mm. never put them down just hold them all the time that gives them safety security warmth all of those amazing things, skin to skin. If you can hold them skin to skin, even better, even better. That's what I'm planning. Uh, would I get weird looks if I was walking down the street with a sling on baby and Absolutely no shirt? Absolutely not. No? Absolutely not. Because <laughs> I like rocking the old no shirt when I'm out. And uh, it's funny how when you go outside, you don't often see people with no shirt on. Uh, yeah. Unless like, well, you know, some people see with no shirt on, you know. But I, I like to rock the no shirt. Okay. And, uh, I, and sometimes no shoes, no socks either, just a pair of shorts. And I'm thinking, now, by the way, I, I'm, I don't mean to be preaching because 
I say all this, yeah. but maybe I'll become a parent and just be like, look, I'm knackered. Just whatever gets it done. Uh, I'm, you you know, may go out with no shirt because you're so tired that you forgot to put one on. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking like, we got the sling, right? I've tried yeah. the sling on already. Yeah. And it, you know, it fits me. And then put the baby in the sling. And then, and then if I don't have a shirt on, um, is that good for the baby? Because they have that constant skin to skin contact. Absolutely, like skin to skin is like magic. It it just opens up all your baby's senses for caring and feeding. It promotes feeding. It's incredible, and that's skin to skin with mommy or daddy or whoever. You see, the thing skin is, Emily, is hugely t- beneficial. To be completely honest, right, and to, this probably has never been addressed uh, before. I looked up skin to skin contact, uh, father to child. Yeah, right? and. I seen a picture of The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson. Oh, yes, Rock, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And a really famous picture of him, he's doing skin to skin contact when the baby's first born. But he, it's The Rock, you know, he's got loads of tattoos. <laughs> and there's something, there's something like a lovely contrast, like that masculinity yeah. versus the little baby, it's so yeah. innocent, right? That lovely contrast. But to be honest, and maybe me and Rachel are looking at pictures of men with no shirt on with babies, we're like, it looks weird. I know that's the terrible thing to say, but like, I thought yeah. to myself, I'm just, I'm just not used, to, I'm not used to seeing it. I'm yeah, so used to seeing. It's probably um, not something we see that often. That's yet. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we get so conditioned by the media. I sk- so obviously I get so used to saying, seeing women breastfeeding mm. or um, with uh, you know nursing a baby, but just I'm not used, that used to seeing a, a man nursing a baby with no shirt on. Yeah. But um, I, I, pl- I, that's what I plan to do because I think that that physicality. Uh, as you said, the most important thing you do is is to hold them. Hold them, yeah. Did you know there's a beautiful um, ritual and tradition? I think it's it comes from Bali originally, um, where the baby doesn't t- touch the earth for forty days after birth. Why is that? It's a it's a ritual, it's a tradition. So the baby's constantly held; it doesn't make contact with the earth for forty days. Yeah, and obviously that's really difficult when you have three other kids and other things too. So it's about the community coming together, you know, raising the village, raising the baby, and the community hold the baby for the mom and dad when they can't hold the baby or the, or the partners or whoever, and the baby is held for forty days. And I think oh, that's so wow. beautiful. And mm. if we had that as a ritual tradition here, I think. A lot of the problems of society mightn't be there, you know, I, I because agree. we would all have that strong bond and feel that, you know, we're important to someone and, and all of those things. So, yeah. oh, God, I can't say it enough. Hold them. Just hold them. And in and let other people hold them as well. In Ireland, we have this kind of weird societal thing. I don't know. I, I, I don't know whether it's in the UK as well, but of this you're spoiling that baby if that baby ruined and it's a real irish mammy thing to say if that baby ruined <laughs> uh by holding it and and i just really need people to understand is you cannot spoil a baby you cannot you're teaching them when you hold a baby you're teaching them i will look after you i will protect you and i will keep you safe how can that be wrong mm. how could that ever be wrong and what you find then, and, and evidence has shown, that babies who are nurtured in that way grow up to be very strong, independent-minded people because they've had that connection and they felt they were worth it and that they were held and that they were loved yeah. from day one. So, And it's not to say if you don't get to hold your baby, and it's really important to say this because you know things can happen that people don't get to hold their babies for quite a while after birth, it can still happen. 
you know, it's it's like there's glue on the baby and glue on the parent. And when that glue meets, it sets, mm. you know, and it, and sparks fly and it creates this incredible bond. And it's best if it can happen immediately after birth. But if it doesn't, it can still happen. You know, you can still have that. But you need to at all times prioritize skin to skin holding your baby. So whenever you can get a hold of your baby, do it, you know, mm. and don't be afraid. And, and skin to skin fixes everything it really does it's incredible that i hate to say it but the covid thing has kind of added a layer of complexity when it comes yeah, to having visitors course, and kids yeah. but my my um I, i'm gonna try to let our, i mean obviously i want to be cautious of like germs and stuff but to give our kid as much exposure to different types of people as yeah, possible yeah. different um yeah. you know not just family but neighbors and people yeah. we know friends yeah. so they because i remember when i was growing up I would I spent so much time with around my uncles aunties that I would look at them and be like oh there's other ways of being a human being yeah. that's different to my mum and dad um and that's so important but yeah I can't wait to see my dad and my mum holding our, our, their first grandchild yeah. that's, that's that really oh, excites magic. me I can't it's wait absolute magic I can't it really wait. is it's um, so exciting yeah um, so Emily, if people want to find out more about you, find where do they go? So um, my website is naturalbirth.ie. Uh, and I have a Facebook page, naturalbirth.ie. And what else do I have? Uh, I have Instagram, but I don't really use it, so I'm not even going to mention that. Okay. I probably should, you know, to be with the times, but I don't. I don't have time for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not on Twitter because it's not good for my blood pressure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very, very wise. As we could But yeah, you'll find me there. Um, I'm... If, if you're needing support or information about anything to do with the maternity services or on your journey through them, mm. I highly recommend Ames Ireland. If you send support at amesireland.com an email, you'll get me on the other end of it. Um, but also, uh, we have an amazing team of people in Ames, all voluntary. Um, we don't receive any funding whatsoever. And we're just really passionate about supporting people through the maternity services. There's a lot of problems, but there's also a lot of really great things happening out there as well. So don't feel out in the cold. Come in. We, we also have a, a COVID support group, actually, which is important to mention um, mm. for anybody pregnant during the pandemic, uh, which is a Facebook group. So if you get in touch, we can put you in touch with that. Brilliant. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for watching or listening. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps the podcast. Uh, and if you'd like to practice with me online, 60, 45, 40, 30 minute classes and audio meditations, you can do that by visiting kevinboyyoga.ie forward slash, forward slash membership with a free week's trial. Check it out. Any questions, comments, let me know. And until next week, have a good one.